Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Woodstock, Georgia, it's time for Cherokee Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Cherokee Business Radio. Stone Payton here with you this morning, and today's episode is brought to you in part by Woodstock Neighbors Magazine, bringing neighbors and business together. For more information, go to Facebook and Instagram at woodstockneighbors.bbm. And if you have a heart for community and you want to grow your small business, please consider joining our Main Street Warriors movement. Go check us out at MainStreetWarriors.org. You guys are in for a real treat this morning. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Eichard Mortgage Team, the man himself, Mr. Matt Eichard. How are you, man? Man, I'm good. I'm having a beautiful week already and just can't wait the rest of the week to be good and coming up on Christmas. Well, it's a delight to have you in the studio. You and I have had a chance to connect a little bit when we meet over at Vibe Realty. They're just doing some marvelous work over there. And we usually spend the first 10 or 15 minutes uh, going into, the, into that kind of mastermind meeting talking about our, uh, our outdoor activities. <laughs> we, we've enjoyed doing that, but I've really been looking forward to getting you in the, in the studio. I got a thousand questions. I, I know we're not going to get to them all, but, but maybe a great place to start would be if you could articulate for me and our listeners mission, purpose, what are you and your team really out there trying to do for folks, man? Well, realistically, it's about getting people into home ownership, especially our veterans. Um, being the child of a Vietnam veteran and grandchild of World War II veterans on both sides, I really like helping veterans out and getting them into better financial situation, but as well as everybody else. First time home buyers, investment properties, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as I can help you get into a better financial situation in a mortgage, that's what makes me feel good. Well, it sounds like a noble pursuit to me. How in the world, I got to ask, how did you find yourself doing this kind of work? What was the what was the path to landing here? <laughs> it was a natural progression from in-home sales to car sales to, uh, oh, yeah, the biggest thing you can sell is a house. <laughs> so I did that almost 15 years ago and went in on an interview that a buddy of mine got me in. And unfortunately, he wasn't hired, but I was. And it kind of stuck. <laughs> so you've been at this a while now. Yes, sir. What, what are you enjoying the most, man? What's what's the most rewarding part of it? The most rewarding part is seeing someone get into their first home and the emotion and the stress that you know you go through to get into it mm. is just beyond words for most people. They it it shouldn't be that stressful, but for some reason it just is. Even when I bought my first home is the home that we live in. It's the first one that I ever bought. Now I did, you know, thousand purchases before I bought my first home. But when I bought my first home, my wife will tell you, as soon as they handed me the keys, I broke down and cried like a baby. Mm. I mean, it was just, I didn't realize it was as emotional as it was. And then I realized it. So what in your experience is, uh, what is it that the people that your clients are nervous about and anxious uh, about? What are some of the things you got to sort of coach them off the ledge about? <laughs> Realistically, it's just the outlay of the expense with the not knowing. 
So it's not, mm. it's not like you're going into a store, you're handing them a credit card or your debit card, and when you buy it, it's yours. I mean, you are literally putting them into a, um, a mortgage that they're not going to pay off for 30 years. So it's the not knowing until you sign on the dotted line. So it's a, you know, it could be up to an 18-month process. I just closed a borrower that I pre-approved almost during the pandemic, but because of how the market went, they made 15 offers on 15 houses and never won one. And then, boom, we got one, but it, it can take a while. Or you can be in a house in less than 30, 45 days. It just depends on what house you've got and when you, you know, try to buy it. Wow. I cannot imagine trying to get 15 houses and not, it's because they were outbid or that, is yeah. that usually what happens? Somebody else just offers a higher number? Yeah. With the market that we are in currently and it's kind of, you know, easing off is you're in a such low inventory, high demand mm. that you're, you know, you're going to compete with other people and some people have the finances to pay over what you could pay. And so talk to me about timing is is there some wisdom in trying to time the market? I know the answer when I talk to financial services people about financial products, you know, <laughs> their answer is like unequivocally no. Just you know, establish a <laughs> an investing discipline. In the mortgage world, I mean, like is now a good time to to buy or not necessarily or what do you think? It in my personal opinion, it's always a good time to buy. Okay. The answer to that question is when is the best time to buy? A year ago. <laughs> Whether it was a year ago, a year ago, or a year ago, 10 years ago. Right. The reason being is that much like the financial services part of it, when you're investing, it's a long-term play. Yes. So yes, you're going to get into a house, but you're going to build equity in that house. And that's why it's a long-term play is a year ago, rates were a little bit lower. Now, obviously they're astronomically high now, but even two years ago when the rates were real low, that was still one of the better times to get in, but it's better than a year from now because a year from now, it could be a totally different market and there could be more buy- more buyers coming. Yeah. And it's interesting, and I may have this wrong, but uh, it's my understanding that like when I was a kid and I'm a little, you know, long in the tooth and I got gray hair, I think my parents, you, know, you mentioned exorbitant, you know, really high interest rates. I think they paid way higher interest rate when they bought their home in the, what would that have been in the, in the seventies? Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. historically it's not really crazy high interest rates. No, is it? it's definitely not. Um, historically, and I give this example to most people when I'm talking to them is I know what my parents, when they bought in Roswell in 1984, mm-hmm. it was almost a 19% interest rate on their house. Oh my gracious. Which obviously today would just, I mean, people would lose <laughs> their mind if I said, oh right. yeah, I'm going to give you a 19% on this house for 30 years. Yeah. It'd be like, nope. But yeah, what if, I mean, realistically, we are in a little bit higher rate market environment, but it's never going to be back to the 19%, which is realistically, it's never coming back to that two and a half percent we had during COVID either. Right. It's just the best time to purchase is get in it when you can, and then realistically take advantage of the rates when they come down to refinance. That way you're not competing with other, other buyers at that time. Right. All right. So let's talk about the work a little bit. Someone approaches you somehow, some way you begin a relationship with a, with a potential home buyer. Mm -hmm. Just walk us through 
those early conversations, some of the things that you're trying to help them get their ducks in or just walk us through that process a little bit. Yeah. So when someone comes to me or someone is referred to me, what I basically do is just have a conversation with them, talk about their goals, talk about their finances, get into, and I basically get into every bit of their finances from what they spend monthly to what their long-term goals are to how much money they've got saved up. And a lot of the time, most people don't understand how in-depth that can go. Well, I think a lot of people, and there are, of course, some exceptions. And as we get a little older, some of us pay a little more attention to that in our in our planning. But a lot of people haven't even asked themselves that. I bet their first response in a lot of cases, oh, I don't know, I got to go find out. <laughs> right? Exactly. Because one of, the, one of the statements I like to make is, in the United States, we're not taught about mm. our finances. I mean, my mom and dad taught me how to balance a checkbook. There was nothing in school to show us how to do that because in reality, school doesn't want you to know that because they want you to realistically get out of high school, go to college, get in debt, get some credit cards, get in debt while they're in college, which is why you see credit card companies at mm. colleges all over the place. And then once you've got the degree and you've got a little bit of debt, well, it's time to get a job. Well, guess what? What happens when you get a job? You got to get a car. So you got to get into more debt. And then, oh, I've got to get married. Well, you might have a little bit more debt when it comes to that. And then <laughs> it's time to buy a house. So you're constantly in debt without being told how to leverage your finances and how to live within your means. So you're a part therapist, too, I would think, in some of these conversations. <laughs> and, and also, the, the, it, it, often it's a couple, I would think, buying, buying, buying a home. Yeah, uh, they're be. not maybe always on the same page right out of the box either, are they? No, they're not. They're <laughs> definitely not. They're, I don't know how many times that I've pulled credit on a couple. And when I start going through their credit report of what's on their credit report as far as credit cards, there have been a few credit cards with balances that one of the spouses did see that the other one did not. Oh, my. That's got to be an interesting it's, set of conversations. Yeah, I don't get the conversation after we hang up, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> there's some little animosity going between the two. All right. So you have this conversation. You start having them think, look at some things that maybe they haven't looked at in a while. They're mm -hmm. kind of getting their ducks in a row. And let's say we do, whether whether they both do it or not. We got some stuff a little out of whack. And and you're and so you kind of coach them through. Okay, we need to get this down or consolidated, or you know what, y'all work on this, and let's talk again in six months. Like, yeah, keep walking us through that whole. Oh, for sure. So when most people come to me, if they have a budget, great. If they don't, I help them develop a budget to understand what they can afford and what they can buy. Mm -hmm. Most people base it off of what their rent payment is. So I don't want you know a mortgage payment higher than my rent payment. Well, realistically, it could be a little bit more because with rent, you're not paying homeowners insurance. You're not paying the uh, property. Well, you are paying your landlord's property taxes, but you're not paying property taxes. And most people don't understand the maintenance that comes with owning a house. And what my wife mm. likes to say is as soon as you've painted everything in the house and got everything the way you want it, it's time to paint something. Else. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's just a constant evolution of that. But when I am walking someone through now – a lot of people know what their credit scores are because they've got that credit karma or freecreditreport.com or whatever it is. Right. They know what it is, but they might not understand what the score is evaluating. So most people's credit, if it's good, bad, or, you know, excellent, doesn't really matter because 
in reality, you can get the same interest rate at a high credit score that you can at a low credit score. The only difference hmm. is when you have a low credit score, you're going to pay more for the rate instead of less for the rate. So the higher the credit score, the lower the cost for the rate is. I right, explain cost for the rate. I'm not familiar with this pro this piece of it. So, and it's, it's kind of a weird conundrum. So I'll give you the little bit of the spectrum of it. So you've got from 350 to 850 credit score. Okay. And what most people don't realize is if you take into account for it is 350 to 850, you take the decimal point, pull it back one. So it's 35 to 85. Now let's base everything off a hundred percent. Even mm. at the best credit score you can have, if 85% of a hundred is that 850 credit score, that means the bank is risking 15% chance that you won't pay your bills. Oh, that's an interesting so, way to look at Because there's okay. no 100% guarantee, right? Right, right, right. Well, think about it. What's 35 then? That means there's a 35, well, that means there's a 65% chance you're not going to pay your bill. Uh, so how are they going to hedge that? They're going to charge you more to get into that same interest rate for the mortgage payment being that where it's at. They're going to charge some sort of fee to get the well, loan it, it's, process. It's either a fee or they will bump the rate up higher to get it. Gotcha. So there's always cost for everything where you right. know, most companies build in their margins. But when everybody sees the interest rates that they see online and everything, they've got to realize that is for the ultimate buyer from 800 to 850 credit score with very little down. Everybody wants that low rate, mm -hmm. but they don't realize that it – see, the small print is – it takes this type of credit buyer to get that rate. Now you can get it at the lower credit score, but you're paying more for it. Where right. give you a hypothetical. If if I have an eight fifty on a three hundred thousand dollar house and you know hypothetical interest rate is six percent, I might pay a thousand dollars to get that six percent. Whereas you're at a six fifty instead of eight fifty, you might pay five thousand. So you're paying gotcha. just more. It's not necessarily oh, a whole lot more, but it's more over the, especially over the life of the loan. Yeah, just one of a thousand reasons that you you need and want to have a a, a mat level person helping you navigate all you of this. You do. You you want them to break it down for the long term and the short term to see what the difference is when it's time to buy to when it's time to refinance to take advantage of a lower interest rate, which right. is one of the reasons why I'm advocating for most people. If you find the house you love, you're marrying the house. You're only going to date and rate date the rate and payment. Mm -hmm. So when the rates come down, you take advantage of the lower interest rate where you don't have the competitive nature of trying to buy that house when the rates come down, because everybody and their mother's waiting on the rates to come down. Well, realistically, that turns into another seller's market to where you're going to be overbidding for houses. If you remember that in oh, 2020, yeah. 2021, I, yeah. mean, I had one person buy an $800,000 house that bid $950,000 on it. Good Lord. Now, the appraisal only came back at 800000 So they put $150,000 over and above their purchase price. Mm -hmm. That didn't gain them $150,000 in equity. Right. That just means they wanted that house so much that they were willing to risk it and have it long term. You mentioned a term earlier in the conversation. I want to circle back to it uh, pre approved. How important is it, or is it almost mandatory that you got to get kind of pre approved to go 
house shopping? Well, most sellers and sellers agents now want you to be pre-approved as mm-hmm. opposed to pre-qualified. Okay. Yeah. Describe the difference. So, in those yeah. so pre-qualified is you send me all your income documentation. I make sure that you fit the bucket of being able to purchase. So you have enough money for down payment. You have enough income. So you're in the spectrum of what the lender is looking for, but I don't put it into underwriting. So there are certain mm-hmm. aspects of the mortgage that you have to be, I'll use debt to income as a you know little buzzword. Mm-hmm. As long as your debt to income is below a 45% of your total you know, gross. Right. That's a good qualifier. If your credit scores 750, that's a good qualifier. If you have, you know, $100,000 in the bank when you're trying to buy a $200,000 house, that's a good qualifier. And I call it the mortgage tripod. So you've got three legs to a tripod. If you've only got two of those, mortgage is not going to hold up. If you've hmm. got one, is really not going to hold up. But if you've got all three of those, you're pretty much qualified for a mortgage. But what a pre-approval is, is I take all that information in a loan application and I send it into underwriting before we even find a house. So they're going to basically look at the entire file, not as in depth as when we find the house, but they'll give us what's called an initial approval. So it's a pre-approval. As long as Mm -hmm. you find a house, it meets this qualification and nothing changes in your income, job, or, you know, anything in your life, you're pre-approved for a loan. And I would think that would be meaningful for a to a seller. Like if I'm selling my home and I'm getting two offers that are in the same neighborhood, and I've got one that's pre-approved and one that you know doesn't, that then I'm probably going to lean to that offer, right? Correct. Got it. And you're gonna and depending on the program itself. So a conventional pre-approval is typically taking over an FHA pre-approval. Now FHA is a great product. Mm-hmm. It's less money down, but there are some interesting contingencies when it comes to an FHA. An FHA is not necessarily as qualified as a conventional, but it's still a pre-approval. It's still a good loan, but Mm -hmm. for some reason, sellers and sellers agents would much rather have a conventional than an FHA. And above above that, an all-cash offer is going to take it anyway. (laughs) So regardless of the mortgage aspect of it, if there's an all-cash offer like an investor, I mean, you're not going to beat that. That's yeah. That's the one that they're really going to jump mm-hmm. on. So, uh, fifteen years plus now doing this. How how long have you been at this? Uh, two th- was it two thousand and nine? Yeah, so almost fifteen years. Wow. So, have you had the benefit of one or more mentors along the way that kind of showed you the ropes and and helped you really learn this business? I have um, <laughs> a few mentors. One of my first branch managers. Um, when I first came into the business before I even got licensed, because when I came into the business is when, you know, right in that 2008, you know, when the market crashed and the fine house, housing market crashed. So I got in it at the absolute yeah, wrong nicely time. Done. <laughs> exactly. I got in it at the wrong time, but for some reason I liked it so much, it just stuck. Um, but one of my first branch managers, when I was going to get licensed, I was what, what they called a branch marketing specialist. So mm-hmm. I made all the outbound phone calls. I cut my teeth on people that were, you know, looking to refinance, looking to purchase, but I was doing the cold calling, you know, 175 calls in the morning, 175 calls in the afternoon wow. and talking and listening to my branch manager who had been in the business for, you know, 10, 15 years prior to that, 
you know, he would say, oh, man, you should have been here during the you know late 90s, early 2000s. You would have made a killing. I was like, well, I didn't realize it was just selling. And then as soon as I've got everybody on the phone, I literally took them into loan officers. So I was just handing them deals for the first six months that I was in the business before I was able to get licensed and talk real money. So I got all of that experience before I got on the phone. And I remember the first guy that I sold a loan to. His name was James Nelson over in, um, I think, Winder. And when he came into the office, sat in front of me, he was like, man, it seems like you've been doing this for years. And he's like, well, how, how'd you learn this? Well, you know, I just finished my online course last week and, <laughs> you know, made him laugh. But, you know, you know, we just settled right into it, sold it. And he was, you know, he was a great guy. He was a, happened to be a veteran the first loan I did. Are there, I'm operating under the impression that there are some unique characteristics or some idiosyncrasies um, associated with helping a veteran mm -hmm. family get into a home. Speak to that a little bit. Well, veterans are uh, obviously very good for me as far as emotionally and heartfelt yeah. is what most veterans, they are not taught finances either. They mm. you know, go and defend our country. God love them for that. And when they come home, they don't have as much knowledge on how to do what they need to do to get into a house as everybody else. But the, one of the best parts about a VA loan is it's a hundred percent financing. So they don't need a down payment. Now, oh, do wow. they, do they need some money for closing costs? Yeah. Typically. Yes. But with like every other mortgage, sellers can pay the closing cost or a percentage of the closing costs. So we can mm -hmm. keep it, especially on a veteran, especially if they're a disabled veteran, because there's no what's called an upfront funding free fee, which is kind of like prepayment, not prepayment, but PMI. Mm -hmm. But since there isn't one, if they have any more than 10% disability, it's so much easier to get them into a house as long as we make sure they financially qualify for it. So much of your work to me seems grounded in relationship and really, um, Education dependent, like you, you spend a lot of time educating your your client. You got to, you in fact, you got to educate them before you can really consult them, right? So they can even I understand do. where I you're do. taking and that's them. That's one of the things that I've always liked is I'm a teacher. Even at you know some of the other companies I've been a part of, it's mm -hmm. training the other guys how to do it and teaching them about their finances. Because, like I said, we're not taught how to handle our finances. We're not taught how to leverage our finances. A good example of that is. With the way the economy is going, you might be in a low interest rate mortgage because you bought in 2020 or 2021 or refinanced in 2020, 2021 to take advantage of those low rates. But with where the economy is gone, you started to, you know, live outside your means or you've lost a job and started mm -hmm. to, you know, have to put money on credit cards or get personal loans or just get any type of high interest rate of debt. And at that point is using the equity because the market has gone so high on values, you have what's called equity. So equity you could use to put into all of that debt and learn how to leverage your finances even better. And what most people don't realize is if I can save you a hundred dollars a month, I can show you how to take all of that debt. And now this is household debt, not just mortgage debt. And mm -hmm. save you that $100 and show you how to leverage it into your home and show you how to pay that debt off in less time than you would be if you stayed in the house and tried to pay it off yourself. Aha. Uh -huh. Man, you're a good friend to have. Well, you know, I try. <laughs> I so, try. Uh, 
still making 175 calls in the morning and in the afternoon, or has your sales and marketing strategy evolved a little bit? <laughs> I don't make that many calls anymore. <laughs> now I have, and you know, I definitely have, you know, when I've had to, Yeah. but realistically referral base is where we're at with, you know, the Icon mortgage team is yeah. I've got a bunch of different referral partners and agents, you know, in what I'm licensed in 13 different States. So I've, oh, got, wow. I've got agents, you know, in those States, but obviously Georgia's where home is and always looking for more referral partners that way. So we can help each other out. Right. So some, a uh, uh, consumer, a house buyer who had a great experience, surely they would refer you, but the, like the, the real estate ecosystem, like the people in the home services world or the real estate agents, those are important relationships to you. Right. And they, oh, and sure. they refer people to you for sure. Kind of like that mastermind we're in yeah. together at Vibe Reality. Agreed. So yeah. realtors, I mean, you're in it. Right. Um, I think there's a couple of insurance guys in it. There's a couple, you know, different, you know, contractors in it. I brought Mark, couple of weeks ago who's a painter that i know right um, but also being part of networking groups in general is a way to you know just have a constant influx of referral business coming in yeah that's a probably a lot more fun than making 175 phone calls. it is you actually get to talk to people and just get to know them and be part of their family that way but i mean even all of my borrowers that i've worked with it's <laughs> i don't friend them on facebook until after we're done with the loan mm -hmm. because they realistically become family. I mean, yeah. I, I had one lady in Massachusetts years ago and my wife says it's hilarious is that I have this weird mimicking ability to mirror someone. So obviously you can tell I'm from the South. I don't have that, you know, huge twang, but this lady was from Massachusetts and she was like 75 years old uh. and she was so sweet. And she goes, Matt, Matt, and you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta meet my granddaughter. She would be perfect for you. And I'm sitting there, ma'am, you know I'm married. She goes, that's all right. That's all right. You, your wife won't mind it at all. She's perfect. I'm like, got to love people, man. <laughs> you do a pretty good Boston. I, I know. <laughs> that's pretty good. I will switch gears on you here before we wrap. Uh, I don't know when you'd find the time, but uh, what passions, pursuits, hobbies do you have outside the scope of the work we've been talking about where you just get to unwind and, and, and enjoy yourself? What do you and, and your family like to do? Well, my daughter, who is about to turn 16, is a competitive softball player. So, Oh, I, oh, I, oh you can't have any hobbies. you got a 16-year-old. Uh, You're going to well, ball games. Well, I do have, <laughs> you know, you and I have talked a few uh, times about our, you know, collective hobby that way, sitting in the woods waiting for the four-legged animals to walk by. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, coaching her softball teams or even being just the parent in the stands and watching her excel, as well as being married for 18 years to you know, an absolutely smoke show of a woman. Um, yeah, that keeps me pretty busy. Now I played golf professionally back in the early two thousands. So I still like to play golf, but I can't tell you the last time I picked up the golf clubs to actually play. I thought you brushed over very quickly. I asked you something before we went on air and you go, yeah, when I was playing professional golf and I let it go, but now I'm going to ask, <laughs> tell me a little bit more about the professional golf experience. Well, it started in 2004. Um, a buddy of mine came into town who was a caddy on the LPGA, the women's golf tour. Mm -hmm. And I was working for Budweiser at the time and we were playing in a softball tournament and he just looked over and he said, you play golf, right? I'm like, yeah. He said, you're good. I'm like, yeah, I can, I can play it around. He's like, 
well, I got a uh, another player whose caddy is broke his leg and he's out. Uh, would you happen to want to, you know, carry a golf bag for the week and be inside the ropes at a professional event, which is the Chick-fil-A charity championship down in McDonough when they used to have it down there. And I said, well, yeah, let me go ask my boss if I can have a week off because <laughs> it was happening that Monday and this was like Saturday. So I called my buddy and he was like, yeah, man, you've got plenty of vacation time. Go do it. Well, had an absolute blast. Um, got to caddy at um, Eastlake during a pro-am with a bunch of Chick-fil-A executives and, you know, talking to the player that I was carrying the bag for that day. And I helped all of them. And I mean, they tipped me like five, 600 bucks each because you know, they were upper executives. And I had obviously never made 2,500 bucks in a day. <laughs> and I was like, well, is this all, does this happen? He goes, yeah, you can do that pretty much at every stop. I'm like, uh, so I looked over at the player that I had that week. And I was like, uh, how long are you playing? She's like, well, I've got another, you know, 10, 15 weeks. I was like, you want me to go with you? She was like, yeah. So I literally went back in on that Friday because we didn't make the cut. And I told my boss, uh, I quit. So I literally left Budweiser and went on tour for the rest of 2004 to the first part of, you know, 2005 and went to the U S open for the women's and went all over the United States. Didn't fly out of the country or anything, but had a blast. Got to play with a bunch of different female professionals. Um, I mean, you know, name drop here. Played with Annika Sorenston once. Most people remember. Even her. I know who that is. Exactly. Right. You know, <laughs> Laura Davies, some of the, you know, players that have been around for years, had fun with them and playing golf with them. They, you know, say, hey, you could play this if you actually devoted some time to it. So when I came home off the road and just, you know, started working with a buddy of mine, that's when I kind of ran into my now wife and she was all over it. She says, let's go, baby. He's like, you can do it. I was like, okay. So we jumped in. I qualified in the, at the Hooters tour in Jacksonville, the qualifying school. And I qualified for 13 events. Um, I think I got in two or three, but lightning never struck in a bottle. I mean, one of those things, it's, it's five events, five events now. Sorry. But, um, yeah, lightning never really struck. And, you know, obviously if I was as good as I wanted to be, I probably wouldn't be on the radio with you right now. <laughs> I'd be with that guy, Tiger Woods and everything, just playing with them. But you still play and go out and have a good time oh, with, I do. with clients and friends and that I kind do. of thing. I do. I mean, I am the call for most of my buddies when they need a fourth and they need a good player. They go, mm -hmm. card, come here. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Call Angie. <laughs> and, and as long as it's within the schedule and I can play, she's like, all right, go play. Oh man. All right. Let's leave our listeners, uh, you know, young people, veterans, whoever's out there getting ready to buy a home, thinking about it. Let's leave them with a couple of pro tips, sure. uh, things to think about, maybe, to, uh, maybe even some things to, to be prepared to have a conversation about with someone like you. Let's leave them a couple of actionable things, uh, pro tips. Sure. Um, biggest thing is, Save some money, live within your means, find a budget, work on the budget. And if you can save a hundred dollars a month, save a hundred dollars a month. If you can save a thousand dollars a month, save a thousand dollars a month and realistically set your credit payments up for automatic payments. <clears throat> Even if it's just the minimum. Now you can go in and pay anything else. Yeah. You know, if, if you've got a bigger balance, you can pay it off at your own leisure, but set it up to make the minimum payments without looking at it. 
So that way you never miss a payment because if you, mm. and it's interesting enough, you, you can work years to get that 850 credit score. You miss one payment on an American Express or Visa or MasterCard, it's going to drop it down to 600. And then it's going to take you another year or two to bring wow. it back up because once you have a bad debt on your credit, it typically takes time away to grow it. Man, I'm glad I asked. Did, did not realize how important that is. Oh, yeah. Minimum payments. And that's all you have to pay. Now you can pay more yeah. down the road. And what I typically do with most people, especially the ones that um, I do cash out refinances when I'm paying you know, all their debt off, mm-hmm. is I tell everyone to get two credit cards. Now, if you have you know eight credit cards, don't close them because that can negatively affect but if you've got two credit cards, preferably ones with awards, rewards, I should say, like an MX Sky Miles or a Capital One Venture card, so you get the rewards of whatever you buy, use those two cards instead of your debit card to buy your stuff. If you're going to the grocery store, put, okay. it, on, put it on your Amex. Now, as soon as you buy it at the grocery store, get home, pay the Amex off. Pay that debt that you – if you spend 100 bucks at you know the gas station mm-hmm. for gas – Pay it off when you get home. It shows utilage, but it doesn't allow you to get into that big debt balance. Ah. So, and because credit cards are basically government backed, mm-hmm. it's a lot more secure than your debit card. If you give somebody your debit card on an automatic payment where it comes out every month and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're short in the bank state, in the bank, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to come out. And in, in my, uh, experience, it's harder to get off of an automatic payment with your debit card than it is with a credit card. Uh-huh. Because if you, you get overcharged with a de- credit card, all you have to do is go back and dispute the credit card and the credit card company is going to get their money. Mm-hmm. The bank does not care. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I- and realistically, the biggest thing is um, if you, you know, you can contact me, you can contact any mortgage person, for just an evaluation, if they're worth their you know salt, you can get an evaluation of your profile without even you know putting any money out there to see where you're at, just to see where you're at, whether you end up doing something or not. That's the biggest thing. Okay. All right. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Whatever you feel like is appropriate, uh, email, LinkedIn. I just want to make sure that people can connect with you. Maybe do that evaluation, have a substantive conversation with you. What's the best way to connect? Well, you can find me on all social media um, under Instagram. I'm iCard Mortgage Man because, you know, I like kind of like the muffin man. Do you know the muffin man? No. Do you know the iCard man or the mortgage man? Yeah. I don't live in Drury Lake. I live on, you know, over in Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also find us as iCardMortgageTeam.com. It's got a link to my calendar, um, to where you can just book a 30 minute, you know, calendar session with me. Doesn't cost you anything. Um, my email, uh, we are powered by Questrock Home Loans. So it's Matt iCard, M-A-T-T-I-C-A-R-D at Questrock.com. Or you can call me on myself, 678-206-7640 or shoot me a text. Either Any way you want to get a hold of me, I'm there. And I typically respond within the hour. Well, Matt, it has been an absolute delight having you in the studio. Thanks for sharing your insight, your perspective. 
Don't be a stranger. Come in periodically and kind of get us updated on what's going on in the market. Might be fun too. At some point, uh, you know, you mentioned teaming up with other people in the in the real estate ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Maybe bring a referral partner, someone in the home services world, or a real estate agent, and maybe. And we'll profile their business, but maybe also talk about how you guys collaborate to genuinely serve the the home buyer. That that might be fun. Oh, we absolutely will. Uh, and before I let you go, I will tell you one thing that we have been doing that, and my wife does a lot of the marketing for us, is that she helped with one of our realtors um, put a drive together for homeless or foster kids here in Cherokee County to hmm. where they can drop a piece of luggage, a stuffed animal or blanket for the foster kids in Cherokee County. Because when those children are pulled out of the houses in bad situations, mm-hmm. they typically don't have anything with them. So the bags that we're getting is so yeah. they have, you know, a stuffed animals so they can, you know, cuddle up with them, a blanket so they can stay warm because they are literally walking out with trash bags of clothes oh, sometimes. Yeah. So that was one of the, and I love my wife for having just the biggest heart that way. And right now I want to say our, what we call our, you know, library is almost full of bags and stuffed animals and blankets to oh. wear. Um, what do we have? Two drop off points, one at club Pilates in Woodstock on town Lake. And then there's one at our, um, child's private school for top prep in Ackworth. And they are absolutely just killing it. Bring stuff in. All right. So uh, luggage is one of the items you mentioned. Yeah. Just stuffed small, animals. small lug- luggage bag, um, stuffed animals mm-hmm. and just the little, you know, blankets. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah. Keep up the good work, man. Thanks for coming in and let's, let's do it again. I will. And you know what? We got to go sit in the woods here. In there. Sure. <laughs> you got it, man. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for our guest today, Matt Eichert, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you again on Cherokee Business Radio.